Hello, human peoples. You're listening to the podcast network of Gamefully Unemployed. Support us and gain access to great exclusive podcasts like Fox Mulder is a Maniac, Tom and Jeff Watch Batman, Star Trek The Next Futurama, and our latest show, Spiel Boys. Head over to patreon.com slash gamefullyunemployed. We do game streaming, movie nights with our patrons every Friday night, and you can even commission your own podcast about anything you want. Literally anything, within reason, and we have to do it. You are quite frankly out of excuses not to go visit patreon.com slash gamefullyunemployed. That's patreon.com slash G-A-M-E-F-U-L-L-Y unemployed, which is spelled like it sounds. The movies, they're back. They're back, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They're back and they're available on streaming, which is great. That's ideal for for me, me. really. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The the, the least amount of travel I need to do to get to the movie is ideal. If it's like... 18 steps down the hall that's perfect oh yeah if i could just (laughs) click a button oh beautiful hey everybody hello everyone my name is david bell my name is tom ryman it's jason oh do you i I introduced myself i thought this is one of the shows where you introduced me every show (laughs) does it different (laughs) i know that's the fun we don't even tell you that's our thing hello i am jason pargin back again Welcome, Jason. Hey, How's hi. it going? And we just watched Talk to Me. Talk to me. Light the candle to open the door. Blow it out to close it. Put your hand on it. Now say... Talk to me. Just for starters, happy Halloween, everybody. Yeah. This will be coming out on around Halloween. What what day is Halloween? It feels like the 31st, right? It's the 31st, right? usually. So happy Halloween, everybody. We got a horror movie. It's on streaming. We also have Jason Pargin here, who I'll now introduce and say thank you, Jason, for being on here. Yes, thank um, you so much. And this yeah. is obviously being recorded in the past because that's how time works. But if this truly is on Halloween, then that means my book is out. It's coming out on October 31st on that very day on Tuesday. It is not a horror oh, wow. novel. It just worked out like that. So if you have not pre-ordered, Zoe is too drunk for this dystopia. Now you could go to any bookstore and grab it off the shelf, uh, unless you you wait because I'm sure after 48 hours they will all be gone, just like the the <laughs> Beanie Baby craze. Every copy will have been snatched up. It's yeah, it's this year's Nintendo Wii. That's right. People will be fighting <laughs> each other on Black Friday for copies of this for copies of this. Mothers book. knocking each other out in targets across America. For yep. copies of Jason's book, there will be memorials set up for the release <laughs> of this book. Are are you um, allowed to put out a book on Halloween that's not a horror book? Is that like against the law? I nobody cares. Nobody pays attention. <laughs> I'll put it this way: when bookstores get these in, they just throw them up on the shelf. Whatever day they they get them in the mail, it's not like this. It's not like Harry Potter where people lined up at midnight. It's like this is release day. Release day is whenever they get around to putting them up. I will I will yeah. literally go to bookstores on release day and see which stores have it. And a lot of them just don't because they haven't gotten it out of the box yet. 
like yeah, uh, yeah around somewhere around here so like that's not like a, a film coming out or a video game where there's like a midnight release <laughs> and everybody's ready for this it. just right. the publishing world unless you're a superstar it is much more lax so some some stores eh, the next week they'll have it up some they'll have it up a week early eh, just whatever whenever whenever somebody's free to put them on the shelf because you gotta you gotta shuffle around all the other books, all the, all the stuff that comes before me and after me in the alphabet. You gotta scoot them aside for a few inches. That takes some time. Yeah, you're right. You gotta like move things to other shelves and stuff. That's yeah, gonna kind of suck. Those boxes are heavy too. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Nobody oh wants yeah. To do that. The first time I moved, I was like, I'm gonna rethink the books I own. Uh, almost immediately. <laughs> yeah, we um, have entirely too many books. It's uh, absurd. Yeah. But yeah, people should check it out. They should have pre-ordered it. I know it's that's useless to say now, but go back in time, pre-order the book if you can. It's uh yeah. I I'm I'm excited to get mine here in the past. Yeah. Uh, but we're here. <laughs> past us. Past us is very excited to get our books. Um we're here to talk about Talk to Me. This is um so the, I, uh, yeah, by the time this comes out, it will have been just on streaming for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd like to think people... And apparently it'll even be on Blu-ray at this point. Like this is yeah. actually getting a, a, a whole a whole physical release. It's, that's yeah. rare these days. I mean, it, it kind of popped, right? That's, that's oh, all yeah, to yeah. say that it... It made it, like it a was... billion dollars on... Well, not really, but like it made like a billion times its budget. I think 80 million on like the, the $13 they spent on it. See, yeah. this is why mm-hmm. I wanted to be on this episode, not just because it's spooky and because I've written spooky books, but because these movies are the last vestige of old Hollywood where you could spend, you know, four or five million dollars on a movie and then have it make 20 times that much. Only oh, yeah. only horror does this as far as I know. And it used to be routine. Like the movie Pulp Fiction came out in 1994. That had a budget of seven million dollars. Like and, right. the, and it made whatever two hundred and fifty million dollars. Like that used to be a thing you could do with an action movie, a crime drama, whatever, a romantic comedy. These days, it's superheroes, or you know, you'll get some huge monster Chris Nolan project, or the occasional like Barbie was kind of a unicorn that it wasn't part of an existing franchise. But you know, the third highest grossing movie this year was the Mario movie. Like generally the only horror, when you look at the top 10 horror films of the year, it's not dominated by $250 million budgets. It is dominated by bare bones, you know, 10 million bucks. And then you'll have stuff like the nun and that, you know, those genre films, but it's stuff that is still can be done on a reasonable budget. And this movie was made by a pair of YouTubers. This is their first film. And I love it. I love that that's still possible thank god for horror yeah i i have a theory it's because horror fans and comic book fans are very similar in that they'll watch it you know what i mean where it's like oh there's a new marvel movie coming out everybody says it's bad fans will be like yeah i mean i'm gonna see it those movies however cost like 200 million whereas with horror yeah like you said you can make it for 7 million and no horror fans just they're like they'll just see it like i'll see every horror movie even if it's i'm almost, told it's bad i'm it's like well, i'm gonna have to it, see right? it it's almost yeah. part of being a horror fan and the, yeah and like the other d- fans intentionally that watching tend to be, the bad ones 
Yeah, they tend to be things like Marvel or bigger budget. Like, there's not like comedy fans aren't out there being like, "I'm going to watch every comedy film." Oh man, like, I've it said it. Work like that. I've said it before, but to me, to me, there's like no worse type of bad movie than a bad comedy. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I totally. Oh yeah. If listeners out there are saying, "Well, what do you care what these movies cost to make?" Man, the barrier for access is so yeah. different. The idea that there yeah. is like, cause if you're these two guys, these two YouTubers, they've got a huge audience and all you need to do is get, like, I think they got some grants from the Australian, like the government has like a, a fund for filmmakers and then they, they probably got some investors, you know, to scrape together $4.5 million is not that hard because it's what's, what's the risk? You know, you dump it to streaming, right. you're going to, it's going to get picked up by some distributor. They'll buy it for more than that. So the idea that there's still this vector where young creative people can come in from the outside, and these are two guys from Australia, there's no such thing as, hey, we're a couple, we're a couple YouTubers from Australia, we're gonna, we're gonna make a Batman movie, like it doesn't work like that. The, the the barrier to get into, and so the fact that blockbuster filmmaking has been totally swallowed up by Disney and these franchises. Horror is like the lifeline for if you are a young creative person wanting to get into film, for the love of God, learn to make horror. Oh, yeah. It's why most directors start, start like even horror. Spielberg started with Duel and Jaws, like which are essentially like thriller horror films. Um, they all start there because that's, yeah, that's where the door is wide open. It's the easiest way where, to get your foot in the door. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I think even through the studio system where they're like, what mm-hmm. do we give this person? Give them a horror film. Even if they fuck it up, people will watch it. Uh, it's, right, because uh, it's low risk. Cause, yeah. Because they're so cheap. <laughs> yep, and everybody will see them. Uh, what did you guys think of Talk To Me? <clears throat> um, do you want to have Jason go first since you're the guest? And- sure. Jason, you are the guest. What did you think of Talk To Me? I thought it was, this is a genre that I like a lot. Like my favorite horror film I've seen in the last 20 years is It Follows. Where it is young people and they are trying to solve a puzzle. There's some sort of a mystical supernatural force that is following them around and they're trying to fight it. But they're not, they're not like overly competent at it they they are very believable as regular people they are fumbling around trying to do their best they're not annoying as teenagers but they are authentic in that they are selfish they're short-sighted they're kids and it makes such a, a unique challenge that when it's done well and when it's executed well it doesn't need a lot to succeed and i think this one is, is executed very very well i think they got great performances these guys taught themselves filmmaking by they started their YouTube channel as literal children. Like it goes all the way back to when they were staging like fake stunts as little kids, they were doing like backyard wrestling stuff. And they made a film that where what few stunts and effect sequences you have, it works very, very well. Yeah. I, um, it fall. I'm glad you brought up. It follows. It's also my favorite horror movie. I don't know, the last 20 years or so. And one of the things that just one of the many things that got right, I love that it follows doesn't try to like explain. Like, I feel like too many horror movies will get bogged down mm-hmm. in exposition in of like, yeah, here's what the demon is. And much like that, this movie also doesn't do that. Um, I didn't like this as much as it follows, but I, I thought it was very well made. And I, I really liked the scares it was going for. 
I like that it it wasn't really jump scary. It was more of like trying to create imagery that you're like, well, that'll stay with me. Um, that vibe. I, I have an interesting take on this film of what it means that I think is really weird about this film. But overall, I really enjoyed it. Tom, what about you? Yeah, I, I liked it. Um, I was impressed with the direction. I liked, yeah, like you said, I liked that it, it went the It Follows way or it, it's, um, I know it's something Jason's mentioned before where it's like, it's okay to have like mysteries, especially in a horror movie. So like, I like that it doesn't over explain things. Um, we don't ever really know the nature of, of, of the supernatural force that's at work here. Um, yeah. or even like the primary supernatural antagonist, uh, it, we never really know what that is or what it's trying to do. Um, so yeah, I, I, I dug that. Uh, but yeah, like you, I don't think it's as, I didn't like it as much as like it follows, but, um, really like the direction and yeah, it, uh, yeah, I, I like I like that it did a lot of like well, we don't see the ghosts and we just see the people reacting to the ghost that's in front of them. Yeah, P- and particularly in a it, crucial moment. Right, they don't do like jump scare sound. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. They, I I saw a profound lack of that. Yeah, it's unfair to compare it to my favorite horror movie of the last twenty years. Obviously, yeah. yeah. Um, but I do think that comparison is there. It just has a very similar vibe. Yeah. Where, yeah, it's, it's my, where it's kind of like kids screwing around with like, I, I love that the first half of this movie isn't really staged like a horror movie. It's more like they're kind of using this as a toy, like they're fucking around with the ghosts. Like, yeah, I like the pacing. The, yeah. the serious thing only happens at the halfway point. Yeah. The first act is the introduction of the, the hand, but it's more fun in games. And I, I guess I wanted to uh, talk to you guys about what, you think the the metaphor of this movie is was it as obvious um as i think it was well um did you guys catch in in horror typically they are drawing on teenager experiences so slasher movies famously are about sex and about defying authority and about you know the dangers of that kind of thing it follows it was kind of symbolic of like an std or you know because it is a a yeah curse that is sexually transmitted and about the consequences of one mistake following you around and about the callousness of somebody that willingly like spreads it. And and so this works even uh, among people who are not teenagers, because those themes are something everybody can remember. Everybody can remember Mm -hmm. being defiant of the grownups. Everybody can remember, you know, experimenting with sex and finding it scary or being afraid of, of the consequences, that kind of thing. So here it, to, to me, it's a metaphor for a bunch of kids experimenting with drugs yeah. because yeah. it's got the thing where it, they're, they're partying and the, the whole the like the dramatic irony is that we, the audience, know that what they're messing with is dangerous, but we recognize they're too young to know this. They, they think they're immortal. So when they're toying with this demon and treating it like a toy, that's it's not a creepy scene the way it's shot, but it's creepy for you, the viewer, because it's like. They're kids. They don't know how dangerous this is. And the same if you saw kids experimenting with crack. It's like, oh, you don't know right. what you're doing. Right. Yeah, you, I wanted you, to bring you know, that up. You know, but you think you know. And then, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, no, it, I just found that interesting because it's exactly what you're saying. And as a result, it's funny how horror films can kind of be a little puritanical for that reason, right? Like, like a movie about STDs and sex is very funny. Um as like a metaphor and like i just wanted i just got the vibe and i think we all grew up in this generation this felt like 
and this is a hit against it, it felt like a really long dare PSA because I... when you, it was so clear, like it was, it was really like um, amazing how like one-to-one it was where it's like, Oh, these cooler kids have brought this thing to the party. It could be a bong. It could be a, a bottle. It's an object. And we're all taking turns doing it. You do it. Everybody films you. You're kissing the dog. You're saying things you wouldn't normally say. And then let's have this young kid do it. And it ruins them. And it's like, Oh, some people it's are having an okay time with it. Some people aren't this girl who's struggling starts doing it alone like away from the party and it becomes a real problem and spoilers it costs her her life like that is a dare psa i've watched and i just think that's really interesting because like we're saying like it's always been horror but it this one like i really felt that just because of the generation i grew up with no uh, yeah watching those psas for sure i think this gets away with that or rather is a little less puritanical uh for a couple of reasons like the the mom like miranda otto like the way she's portrayed is kind of like one trying to be like the cool parent but also being like really overly like yeah uh, she's killing it yeah she's great in this but like overly like paranoid about the kids doing drugs to the point where she drum she jumps to like a really intense immediate conclusion that's wrong right um driven by that impulse and also like it's it's all there's there's plenty of people like quote unquote do the drugs in this in this film right everybody well, takes that, a spin at the hand and yeah, they're all say, fine that that's what i was about to say they have kids go like i'm fine yeah like they know they know they didn't want to have that message yeah. necessarily like i think when you're writing a horror movie you often think like what's a real anxiety or fear i can play off of and it probably naturally happened and they probably were aware like we're not trying to do a psa here yeah. like we're not I, trying to be too puritanical so i would take it I, a, but that's clearly the metaphor i too. would take yeah. it a step further because i think that they draw a specific difference between the people who suffer from the the hand from the drug and the people who don't because the people at the party it demonstrates lots of people can do it they can set a limit where they're around friends and they cut it off and they're fine but mia the protagonist has a deep emotional void she is trying to fill Yes. Which is the loss of her mother. So for her, she is, the rest of these people are doing the thing with the, the hand for fun. They are experimenting. They're doing what kids and what humans do, which is experiment with new experiences. We seek out novelty and have fun with each other. And we experiment with each other and, you know, laugh. And it's like a bonding experience. But she is not there to have fun. She is not there to goof around or explore something new. She is there trying to fill this trauma and that's, she's the one who falls into its grip because she is doing it for a different reason. I actually think that's the theme they were trying to explore. Mm -hmm. And then of course the kid who does it, who is too young to shake it off and not strong enough pointing out that there's a reason why we don't let somebody who's 14 or whatever his age is supposed to be do these drugs because you're not you're not at a place where you can handle it they're also i think trying to show the environments right like at the beginning they do a very specific thing that i noticed which is that did you notice that her father slowly comes into focus throughout the film literally he starts out of focus and then every time you see him he's a little easier to see um and it's this idea of like he is very distant from her at first and he's trying to push himself in but it's clear that he was affected by her mother's death so it's this idea that she's also very lonely 
mm-hmm. and there's no one kind of helping her. Um, and then there's the teenagers are also kind of distant. She's not well liked in the social group at first. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're setting up all these little pieces to show that she's in a specific uh, place in her life that is susceptible to these demons. Right. Um, it's not you shouldn't use drugs. It's this specific person shouldn't use drugs right now. Um, right. It's like it's. Um, oh, crap. I had a thought and I lost it. But it's 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 more it, this is closer to like it's it's, it's OK. I got it. It's a, a lot of horror movies are like about grief right now um, because yeah. for all the reasons we just said, like it's it's a common thing that everybody can relate to. It also tends to be pretty easy for horror yes. movies to do that because you can just like like something like the Babadook does it very elegantly, but a different movie uh, would take that and and go really over the top or corny or too far. Basically, just use it as an excuse to like, well, we can say this monster is grief, but it's still just a monster movie. But like, yes. I like that this movie is a horror movie that is about grief among other things, the things that surround that topic, like the the addictions uh, that you can fall into, particularly because you become a, a susceptible to it when you are grieving um but this is about self-destruction uh through grief and addiction but it's never it doesn't use that as like a mask for the ghosts to wear if that makes sense like the ghosts are never the ones that are causing the destruction it's always her yeah that's a really good point i yeah i i'm right where there that's what of course why jordan peele has kind of been so fun is because he's not like my movie is about grief he's like my movie is about like exploitation in hollywood yeah and like really oddly specific things that you're like man i guess you can make a movie about that a horror movie um and that isn't to say making a movie about grief grief or loss can be like you know you can still make right. a very complex it's not movie just you mentioned about the those Babadook. things it's about like a, a lot of things that are in orbit of that theme right and yeah this definitely is that yeah um, for sure for and i example, love that they just didn't yeah sorry go ahead jason for example one running issue throughout this film and a lot of films in the genre is that there is no chance whatsoever that they can go to any kind of an authority figure for help at no point right. do they even consider sitting the the grown-ups down uh, you know it's jade's parents or or mia's dad and saying okay what happened is this hand is possessed and we were messing around with it. And it, like that, that never even occurs. That, that doesn't enter anyone's brain because it wouldn't. And that's the same thing where if you're struggling with addiction, like the knowledge that you're going to get in trouble. So it's partly about and to a very large degree about the relationship with the parents who they only see it in terms of I have to prevent my kids from doing these harmful things. The kids are going to experiment in this trap you get into where once they fall into a hole, they can't reach out you know they actually have to actively hide what's going on right yeah she does she hides it from everybody in this and of course it also yeah it lies to her um it you know which yeah it takes the form of her mom and starts telling her things and it's clearly getting her to try to murder this kid so they can like possess him they do Um, they do the reverse with the mom that what you pointed out with the dad Right. Right. Does yeah. It, or, or, or they make or her think, think the she dad also is comes, trying to get her. I think she also comes more into focus. Rather is what I was trying to say. Oh, the mom does. You're right. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. I didn't even think about that, but they do absolutely do that. And yeah, there's a lot of like idea of like denial and um, you know around what her mom did because the the, the concept is 
there the premise is that her mom took too many sleeping pills and accidentally killed herself um and of course like what we learn is that she did it on purpose and she's dealing with that fact and her dad's covering that up and so it's kind of also just about like just generally secrets people are keeping from each other um and then there's the kangaroo stuff which it's funny because it's like the most Australian thing about this film. So many <laughs> horror movies here have a scene with a deer, right? Deer in the yeah. woods or yeah. in the road hitting a, a deer. Wounded that animal is a, in the road. Yeah. As a trope. It was kind of funny that it was a kangaroo there and it's like, oh yeah, I guess it would be. They are they're the deer, I guess. They're fucking dirt like animals that are shitty and everywhere. But they do this thing that I wasn't I, I didn't I didn't not like it. I liked it a lot, but it was it was just an interesting choice because it felt like it was kind of it was unrelated, I guess. And there was this mercy kill angle where she sees this deer in the road in a sequence that is kind of gut wrenching because the deer looks pretty good, like realistic, and it's suffering in the road. And she goes to hit it with her car, and she just can't. And you're like flinching at that prospect of like we have to mercy kill this deer. What do we have? A car. You know, like that's, that's what we're going to have to do. <laughs> and then of course they match the shots again, spoilers at the end when she is going to mercy kill in her mind, her friend who is possessed by putting him in the road. And then she is in fact hit and they mirror the shots. And like, so there's this other theme of that, of like mercy killing something and whether or not to do it. And I'm not sure what to make of that. I just thought that was there to inform her decision, like the decision she made at the end. Like you saw mm-hmm. earlier her make that decision that she can't, like, I can't be the one to do this. And then when this ghost is lying to her and saying, no, the only way out is to put your your friend's little brother out of his misery. You know, this is the only way. And then she right. finally sacrifices herself instead. I thought that was just there to set up that uh, like establish that that's who she is, that she wouldn't, that she wouldn't be the one to do that. If the, if it's symbolizing something else, I don't, I'm not picking up on it. No, I, I, I think you might be right. One of the weirdest things about horror in general that horror gets away with, I would argue is that their character arcs are way different because like most movies need a very like realized character arc. And obviously horror should still have that, but a lot of horrors end in really like, downer ways like this one ends with her dead and i i i it it's a nice punctuation at the end that she is one of the people being talked to through the hand um but it, it does feel like she doesn't have much of a arc you know what i mean so like she sort of just destroys herself mm-hmm. um or is allowed and so to do i bet that, there though. was exactly that's what i mean horror is allowed to do that but i do think at the same time people notice if a character doesn't change and so giving her that like beginning and end marks some sort of arc or progression in the character that's more identifiable. And yeah. I wonder if that's why they did that. It's actually like, like you mentioned, these are two YouTubers and that doesn't mean they can't craft a good story, which we're obviously seeing here. Like that's a really smart and subtle way to kind of give that character something, um, some sort of change throughout the film as opposed to her just kind of being destroyed. And it felt like weirdly bittersweet. I guess they do the thing where it's like, no, she didn't end up mercy killing this kid. You could argue at the end, she 
fought it, right? It's 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 kind of unclear well, what happened. Yeah, the idea is that she overcame it, or at least did not buy into its lie ultimately and push the kid into the street. Right. Um, it's yeah, a real think, low bar for your main character. Yeah, yeah. I think also <laughs> horror gets away with the the simple thing because it's all the characters are just archetypes, right? Like that's all. Right. We don't expect that much more of it, so they can do these real simple moves. That I mean, still a lot of a lot of horror movies don't do it. So, right, it's amazingly effective. I was watching mm-hmm. this a weird reference, The Grudge too, and there's like a very small progression where the main character is being pushed around by her mom, and that they, she's like, "I don't want to be pushed around by my mom," and it's like, "Yeah, I guess that's all you need," because like you guys are saying, like horror, we don't watch it necessarily for. And in fact, some of my favorite movies, like I'm thinking of It Follows and I'm like, what is the character arc there? Um, I guess it's a lot of horror movies. It's simply having to grapple with the obstacle in front of you, right? Because Mm -hmm. obviously at the beginning, you're running from this thing and then at the end, you're confronting it. And sometimes that's all you need. Like, why do you need an arc if you're getting chased by a demon? You know, like (laughs) you just got to deal with it. This is a real opportunity for growth. Yeah, exactly. That kind of gets back into where, and we've talked about this in previous episodes, by the way, about asking too much from horror in terms of like, well, what does this symbolize? What does it, you know, what, what did right. the wheelchair symbolize in that, that final yeah. scene? And sometimes with horror, it's strange because it is, it is almost difficult to make horror that is not in some way puritanical or conservative. Like you could say that a film like Aliens that it's punishing them for exploring outer space, for exploring the unknown. So much of horror, you know, like I write Lovecraftian-type cosmic horror, and so much of that is like fear of the unknown, fear of what's outside the realm of the known. And the issue is supposed to be that it's it's fun. It's fun to imagine there's monsters out there. It's fun because you don't have monsters in your own life, so it's fun to imagine that out there in the dark is, is some crazy monster, and it's just a ride to go out there and have an adventure among that stuff. But it's not supposed to be bringing home the the lesson, don't explore the unknown. <laughs> there's monsters out there. Right. Stay home. Oh, yeah. And, and the same or thing. distrust all strangers. <laughs> right. Or Event Horizon. That's what you get for trying to build a good engine. Like, it's just, yeah, it's very funny how that happens. And lots of horror films are like science gone wrong. You know, in the 50s, it was always yeah. atomic power and, and creating giant bunny rabbits from the due to the radiation or whatever. And it's always like, aha, science played God one too many times. And that's obviously a bad message if you take that as this is you know horror is trying to stop the progress of society or shut it all down burn all the science books it's trying to convince you not to experiment with drugs or not to have sex or not to do these things like it and sometimes it tends to have like a very conservative message but i don't think i think that's asking too much of horror i think horror looks for playgrounds you know, like like Freddy Krueger, like the idea of if your nightmares were real, like that's such a simple idea. Right. And that's not trying to take to t- say something about society. It's just that's a very primal thing. Um, so I, I feel like it's OK to let horror have, especially since horror, part of it is allowing itself to be mean to the audience where the hero yes. will survive everything. And then the final scene, the monster will just come out and kill them anyway. And it cuts to credits and the audience loves it because it's like, yeah, and it, no, it meant nothing. The universe is just a cruel <laughs> machine. Well, yeah, yeah. I think 
part of horror is taking something that's hopeful and making it horrifying too. Like part of it is purposefully saying like, Oh, this character wants to make fusion power and change the world. Let's punish them. That's part of the horror. And it's funny you bring all that up because I think that's in this movie, which is that this movie feels very postmodern horror in the way the kids are treating the hand. Um, where the, one of the first things you see or the, one of the first things they show is like, you know, they're all, they're being kids. They're on their phones. They're still hanging out. Like this movie isn't wa- wagging a finger at phones or anything, but they make the kids feel like, especially um, uh, desensitized because right. they're still just you know, filming this hand and this seance and these ghosts yeah. on their iPhones. Cause it's like, well, whatever. And I don't think that's supposed to be a comment on, like, oh, kids have seen everything these days, even though they kind of have. I don't think that's what they're talking about. I think it's, again, postmodern horror, which is like that idea of like, yeah, we love this shit, right? We love this demon uh, hand. It's like in the horror movies. Let's play with it. Um, And so there's like, that is the thing this movie does that's really unique that you guys already pointed out earlier, which is that after the first act into the halfway point, it is fun. Like this movie is a horror movie, but it actually takes a bit to be a horror movie. Mm. Like the first half is mostly just like, let's have fun with this demon hand. And I, I'm not saying it's a comedy. It's almost like this short circuiting where it's treated like fun while this horrific thing keeps happening. Yeah. Um, it's, but, oh, go ahead. Oh, but it, to them it's trivial. And I love that punctuation at the end. The fact that like they then go into the horror and then at the very end, the last shot is this character in the hospital. She thinks she's woken up and all the lights go out and she sees a single burning flame and goes up to it and there's a hand and she holds it. And she, it, the realization is she is one of these, these ghosts that they're talking to. And when she holds it, she just sees another bullshit part full of dipshits. Yep. Yeah. And like, I love that flip of like, yeah, they didn't like it very much. Did they? <laughs> Like, shouldn't it's, be dicking around with this hand, should you be? Yeah, I, I, what, I like what you were saying about postmodern horror and how it's not supposed to be, oh, look at these kids with their phones and stuff. Uh, that's not really what it's saying. It is doing the thing that you're saying where it's just showing that, like, yeah, it's, we, we all love this stuff now. Like, horror is very popular. Like, we would be out here, like, filming it in iPhones and stuff. But I like that it's also doing the very, it's still doing the very, very classic horror trope of this is us watching them uh, dig too deep you know or like go too far like we know like it's it's dramatic irony still because we know they're fucking with something they shouldn't be fucking with certainly not as cavalierly as they are um so i like that it has kind of like the the dual the dual meaning there you could and i don't it's not as direct but you could call this a metaphor for horror meaning a bunch of kids watching horror they show a little kid it ruins the little kid (laughs) not everybody likes horror and so it's that idea of like, you to could, some people, yeah. horror is just this fun thing. To other people, they're like, I had nightmares for years after watching that movie. I can't do this. I it had, triggers my anxiety. I had one other thought that I wanted to say about what Jason brought up earlier, where horror gets a lot of the attention of like, well, what does the wheelchair mean? Or like, it, it seems to get more mm-hmm. attention like that of people trying to suss through and decode all the imagery than any other film. And I had like, I think I had a thought. I think there's two reasons for it. And one is that horror is very obviously thematic more so than other types of movies where it's like, 
it's it's very obvious with like it, it's so heavily themed and heavily thematic and like the imagery is so is so clearly important so we're like we already know we're supposed to be reading something into some of this imagery right. um and it's like especially now where it's like part of like the i guess the discussion quote unquote where like jordan peele and other and like a24 and stuff have like elevate have uh popularized elevated horror quote unquote right so like that's become like more of like what horror is currently for 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 audiences and the other thing is that the other thing we were talking about where horror is like intentionally very simplified so it's like we have these very simple ideas in this canvas that's very overly obviously thematic so it's like it's people are already looking for things to read into it and because the elements are so simple you can read a lot of things into it yeah you look at freddy krueger and you're like what does that mean yeah <laughs> it's gotta mean something <laughs> Some right room face dickhead mean? yeah why did you do that why did you make that what is this and then of course yeah, you read sometimes... Wes craven was just like yeah there was a, a child murderer in the news at the time and i kind of based yeah. it on that and that's it or he's just like it's like a grip i met he was just like his name was freddy and he freaked me out he was a pedophile he he got burned badly by some parents and i thought that'd make a good movie yeah and i was right yeah <laughs> no we I, remain it, friends a, to it, this day <laughs> it isn't just horror but it is like the loudest filmmaking i still remember uh, yeah. the thing where people are like what's in the suitcase in pulp fiction and tarantino's like i thought it was diamonds right and they're like oh <laughs> it's not like a soul it's like no it was like a diamonds <laughs> it's reflective <laughs> you know diamonds people like diamonds like yeah sometimes it's just yeah you're not thinking about or like i imagine filmmakers do these decisions being like yeah they're gonna think that'll mean something right like i'm sure the, that'll be interpreted a million different ways which is like what good abstract art is right is you throw a bunch of shit on a canvas and it looks like a bunch of shit and people get what they want out of well, it I, yeah. ideally you land on an intent that you had and then also happily discover oh this can also if i leave it ambiguous it also can mean this this and this which tie into what i was going for so yeah. hey <laughs> i i just went to the museum of modern art, modern art in san francisco and i think i am very cynical about abstract because <laughs> sometimes it's just squares and i'm less like yeah it's squares they put squares on there i could do that I can put squares on there. I was like, yeah, it means this. And it's like, does it though? Or does it just mean squares? <laughs> it's just a bunch of squares. Yeah. In, in many ways, horror movies are the squares of, of film. Yeah. Not to, not to get off on a tangent, but it, I, people <laughs> swear that they are art experts when you can say like, this is JD Stewart's, his display of his square, his squares. And that right. they're experts who can look at a, fake and say that's not a jd stewart square i'm sorry you're a fool to, to that this orange square that you thought i would make mistake this for his red square series you're a fool uh because of the <laughs> brush fucking rude the brush strokes and the type of varnish uses or whatever like it means something to them but i also don't get i don't get what i'm looking no. at in those cases now i Oh, no, go on. One thing that I was very impressed by this. So these guys, the two, uh, the filmmakers named Danny and Michael Filippo, uh, who their YouTube channel has 7 million subscribers. Um, their nice. YouTube is a lot of skits that involve a lot of like over the top violence and stunts done on, you know, zero budget. It's not audit, you know, augmented by CGI. They have spent decades since they were children with video cameras, you know, perfecting 
all sorts of stunt work, practical effects, teaching themselves on the fly, which I think is incredibly cool. But they wrote the screenplay for this, too. The only other writer that's not them is it, it looks like they had somebody come punch it up, but they're not, like, known. It's just somebody works in Australian film of some kind. Right. They, they did a really tight, perfectly structured script here. It, like, it opens on yeah. the mysterious scene where a guy's going to try to find his brother at a party, and the, and the brother freaks out and stabs himself and stabs the guy. And then you're like, well, what was that about? And then almost 20 minutes go by before they pull out the hand, the hand in the poster. And all of that is just teenagers talking to each other, establishing their relationships. There's the incident with you know, running, hitting the, the kangaroo and not being able to put it out of its misery. But that is where a lot of these films become intolerable. If you had one that is a hit, it means you nailed these quiet moments because it is a very hard to write scenes of teenagers hanging out in a way that is not grating to old yes. grizzled old people like us. And this film needs to work. It needs a lot of teenagers hanging out because you have to contrast the horror stuff that comes along with what their lives normally look like. It has to be a shock to, it can't be the evil dead. It has to be like a shock to the mundanity of their teenage lives, that their stakes in their lives, they think, are things like, does Mia still have a thing for Jade's boyfriend? And that, that's her ex, and now is dating Jade. You know, is, are they going to get in trouble with their mom for going to a party after she told them to stay home? It's all of these things where it's teenager stakes and you have to watch it. You have to enjoy these people's company. You have to be invested in the little conflicts they have because that is by runtime most of the film. And in this genre, that's the way it's going to be. It follows. I love it so much because it violates like every rule of pacing. So much of it is just conveying the boredom of being a teenager in a dumpy neighborhood. Because it follows, right. takes place in a dumpy part of Detroit, one of the dumpiest cities in America. And it conveys <laughs> the oppression of just the boredom and knowing this thing is out there. It, it's so hard to make a movie about boredom. It's hard to make a movie about teenagers talking to each other that is meant to be watched by people who are not other teenagers. But even as a teenager, I found that grating. So this is a very well-written script, and they direct they directed some wonderful, subtle performances, which watching their YouTube channel, this was not their thing whatsoever. Like, they developed skills here that are way beyond what they had demonstrated. I was really impressed. That is pretty great. Yeah, I mean, the opening is a wonder, I believe. Um, at least it's crafted to look like one and they do know like it's that's what's interesting about this movie is that like it is following the hollywood thing which is like the first producer note and maybe they did have a you know maybe they did have a producer that they went back and forth with notes i don't know who this third screenwriter is but like one of the first things they say is like yeah start with you got to start in an exciting place and so they have that scene it follows similarly has an opening scene just showing the previous victim right um yep and that's a good place to start. What these movies, me and Tom recently covered The Ring, the 2002 remake. And one of the things about that movie that we talked about was that it is two hours long. And one of the reasons why is it, 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 that movie really focuses on characters and lore. 
And what these movies have figured out is lore. You don't need these long scenes in a library of them like learning what the name of the demon is, which a lot of these movies get bogged down with. And so therefore you can spend more time with the characters. This movie does it very efficiently. The scene that popped out for me was when they were just singing in the car. That's something that you can put in a script and maybe someone will read and not think about. And then once you see the scene and you have the performances, you're like, oh, they're close. They're very close and I like them. And it's it's a, what, one minute maybe? Maybe yeah. not even, maybe 30 seconds. And so it's crafting those little moments that might not even be like visible in the screenplay that they did a really good job at. That by the time they do bring out that hand and they're talking about, oh, let the kid do it. You know, you're like, ah, I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I, I kind of care about these people at this point, and I don't want something bad to happen to them. With all um, of your positive... And then, of course... Oh, just that efficiency means more horror, right? More time to do all the other stuff. With all of your positivity, I'm almost afraid to say what I'm about to say. Mm. But <laughs> you knew that a film that... Like, this movie would normally have gone... Dumped, gotten dumped straight to streaming and it's four and a half million dollar budget straight to streaming would have made that back no problem instead it goes to theaters grosses 70 80 million dollars in theaters and then comes to streaming and makes more on top of that uh probably will make i i don't know make its budget back 30 times over you know this is not the last talk to me film they're already making the sequel they have well they're making a prequel it follows Duckett and how he got the hand. So everything you're saying here about how they knew not to dig into the lore too much, the issue with horror franchises, and I understand the economics of why they can't stop at just one if it's hugely successful. I get it. I get it. Like the yeah. studio would be like, oh, you don't want to make it? Fine. We'll farm it out. <laughs> we, we, we have the rights. Oh, we yeah. can do that. We can have like you signed a deal. We can make sequels without you. If you if you're not interested, no problem. We have we have some hack we'll bring in. We will knock the sucker out in six weeks. So they're making a prequel that's going to get into how Duckett, the guy you saw in the opening, got the hand and all of that. When you do horror sequels, really the only place you can go is deeper into the lore. And this is where every franchise that has more than two movies, if it's not like alien and aliens, if you've got a horror franchise that is on movie four, five and six, and I am telling you, talk to me, there will be a fourth, fifth and a sixth talk to me movie. It has to get into the original psychic medium whose body was dismembered and somewhere out there is her foot, which is also haunted. And there was a a sorcerer who cast it in plaster and performed a spell on it. And the only way to defeat it is we must reunite all of the body parts back to the original body. But wait, she's come to life. And the only way to take her down is to find the original sorcerer who imbued the body parts with it's the only place they know to go. I am going to be very fascinated to see where these two guys go. A prequel, I think yeah. they could execute beautifully because there's a lot of story to be told there and it connects directly with the film they just made. As you start to make more and more of these, which is going to be a thing, I 
don't see how you don't just get do that thing where you belabor the lore to the point where it's like, well, you've robbed the first film of its mystery because the whole point of it being scary was the unknown. As you make more movies, you keep shining more and more light onto the unknown until it's just known and it's just a bunch of stuff somebody made up. I have a pitch because this is actually something I think has been a, 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 a subtle art of horror sequels that has been lost and that art is called gremlins 2 or evil dead 2 or texas chainsaw massacre 2 which is hey you want to do the sequel and the filmmaker's like yeah sure i'll do the sequel you assholes and they just do a, a fucking comedy they just go completely the other way with it i i i love that because that was so many directors going like well i did the horror movie that was that was the movie. Yeah, I made did it the already. movie. <laughs> um, I, I for that reason, I am so surprised there hasn't been more. It follows for that same reason um, because that's another one where it's. I guess they probably sat down and was like, well, it's kind of just the same film over and over again, which hasn't stopped them. It's what frustrates me, of course, with the Conjuring universe, which is that again, the the part of a horror movie that we love is not knowing things. Um, that's a big part of it, and not spending too much time on the lore, and so like this other instinct to be like let's make a cinematic universe where we like dive into the lore and background strange, of everybody yeah, yeah it's like that's a... kind of the opposite of what we want right well, by the end of talk to me two they're gonna be fighting the the psychic lady's ghost with a bunch of yeah. chains like the end of the nun two yeah or the movie rings where they're like this is society passing along and it's like yeah that's why we end stories where they end right because then if you keep thinking about where it's going to go it gets silly or it just gets unnecessary and i don't know i long tradition of terrible horror sequels so it is a bummer but it's like when has it not been a bummer i guess um, I just wish they got sillier with it, you know, like that's the thing is I bet talk to me too is going to be a very serious attempt to make a sequel. And it's like, maybe if you have a really good idea, maybe if they did something like time jumped a ridiculous amount or something like that, um, showed this hand in like medieval times or something. Um, otherwise, yeah, just go funny with it. Like if the filmmakers are listening to this right now, I would say go real funny and dumb with it. Because screw them. Stay if, if, yeah, you don't need a career in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. You know, Toby yeah. Hooper was a big success after doing that. <laughs> yeah, just yeah, just, yeah, just yeah. do that. Yep. Now, yeah. the all-time champion franchise in terms of how it's handled its sequels has to be Saw. With the yeah. deranged thing where each film <laughs> rewrites and retcons the previous films to where now the first film, if you have total awareness of everything that has happened in the franchise, if you try to watch the first film, it is just nonsense. It is just a just layers yeah. of madness because they have rewritten those events in ways that were so very obviously not originally intended to the point that I think there is nothing funnier than the way Saw loops back and back and back. It's like, wait, actually, actually, both of those victims were secretly in on it. And yeah, it's it's ridiculous. It's, I it's, remember it's the first time I watched Saw. Yeah, first time I watched Saw, I was like, that was a fun, compact little film. I'm sure they won't make 10 of them. Like, it's it, the Saw films, I got to give them credit for taking themselves so seriously. Because you know they know, right? That, like, I don't think people are watching Saw to be scared. You know, like, I don't think that's been happening for a while. 
I think people are watching Saw because it's they're getting joy out of it um, from how like silly those movies are. But I also genuinely don't really understand Saw as a series anymore of like wh- why 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 can there be 10 of them why do people like watching that like i watched one and two and was like i get it you torture people it, it's a slasher me. movie you yeah know, it's slasher slasher movies are easy to make a zillion sequels to because all it is is well here's the next batch of uh kills right yeah it's they're designing the traps when they sit down to write yeah. a saw sequel they're they're right starting with a series of trap designs and they just write a script around that and try to figure yeah. out how to loop it back around but that actually Final gets, yeah that right that gets to a question of you said people aren't like are people scared watching a saw movie like is it scary that is a great question because i i'm trying to remember if because Nightmare on Elm Street would have come out in the mid-80s. I would have been like 10 years old, probably too young to watch it, but I probably watched it anyway. And I'm trying to remember if it scared me. Because by the third movie, or maybe even sooner than that, Freddy Krueger is a clown. He's a, right. he's a goofy slapstick comedy character, and the kills are slapstick. It's, it's cartoon kills. So it, it's not even necessarily the same genre because i feel like the first film is absolutely trying to scare you it is preying on primal fears and then everyone after that it's just like you have toddlers dressing as freddy krueger for halloween right yeah yeah it was just it was cringy (laughs) and i guess that is like saw it's funny because i still don't i'm still look at saw and i'm like meh because i think with saw it doesn't feel creative to be every setup is you get kidnapped and wake up in this contraption because it's always kind of the same, whereas Freddy Krueger or Jason, there's like a cat and mouse to that that I personally think is more fun. But I guess, again, you could argue like, yeah, they just go to sleep, right? Every time, that's going to be the thing. They go to sleep and sure enough, there's Freddy Krueger. But like, it was more always for me of like cringing at someone being, you know, puppeted by their own fucking veins, like in which one was that? Dream Warriors, I want to say. Um, I think so. Yes. Maybe, yeah like that shit yeah it was always like flinching and laughing but when you go back and watch that first one much like the first um uh friday the 13th and you're like oh yeah they are going for a horror here like that first one does have and of course it would dream sequences can be scary and they like he's more mystified in those uh but yeah again they at a certain point same with evil dead first one is trying to go for scary and then I mean, not even that scary. It's still like gory and over the top. But yeah, like that's why I feel like sequels just, it's better to just go fuck it and just give up. Like, I wish The Nun would be more fun. Like, watching The Nun and The Nun 2, I'm like, yeah, have her fight Freddy Krueger or something. Like, do go nuts with it. Because it's not scary. <laughs> so, I don't know, be fun in some other ways. Well, um, back to this movie. <laughs> yeah no i want to talk to me where someone puts their dick in the in the hand and then says talk to me and the ghost yeah. is like oh you dude like give me that give me talk to me too dick yeah, in the hand where's scary movie seven when you need it yeah yeah you're right that would be a scary movie <laughs> scary seven movie gag, seven gag. <laughs> oh man um um talk to me yeah right. talk to me uh do you guys have, does anybody have any more um any any last thoughts i guess you guys like the foot scene yeah it's good 
that's mm-hmm. this is probably what I'm talking about though. Did either of you find this movie scary? Yeah, um, I found well not like I found it creepy. Like it was one of those movies where as I'm in it, I'm kind of like looking around the room a little bit. And then like for a little bit after it was over, I was kind of walking around my house like, I don't know about this. Like it, it, it never like really, really got me, but like it was creepy throughout and I liked it. And I, and I, 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 I was, I was with it, but uh, yeah, not like super scary. No. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I have trouble, you know, it takes a lot of horror movies don't scare me anymore, but they do. I do in the moment go like, Oh, that's neat. Or, Oh, that's good. I'll say this one was pretty good. Like again, when they don't do jump scares and they're just trying to creep you out with these moments, like the kid fucking himself up. And then you see him was like, I'm not going to forget that. You know, like mm-hmm. that's kind of how I gauge it. There are like a few movies will make me tense up and go like, I don't want to be here, but it's really, it's much harder for that to happen. You know, as I got older and saw more, this didn't never did that to me. But it also didn't feel like it was trying to. It felt like it was trying to be more like dread than like we're trying to terrify you in the moment. Coincidentally, the movie Terrified was a, a recent movie where I said, ah, I don't want to be here for this. Um, but like, yeah, this didn't it, it didn't feel like that was what they were going for, I guess. Um, but I could be wrong. You know, um, it just the, the setup of the scenes like. They do one tense scene where the, the foot scene where it's like you see that thing in the corner and that's a moment where you're like, ooh, oh God, what's that? But then they just sort of show you the thing. And I, I remember having this moment being like, oh, that's weird. They just show me the, oh God, it's licking the feet. And then you realize like, that's okay. That's disturbing. Right. Too. That was it's the not... beginning of the scare was the thing crawling out of the corner. Like that scene continues right. after that. Yeah. Point. It's more of a, like a grotesque scare, more yeah. of an evil dead scare where it's like, we're not hiding the thing. It's not jumping out. It's not mysterious. It's just, we have decided that we will, we are betting that the imagery we're using will be enough to disturb you. Right. Like that's kind of what they're rolling the dice on. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of did a bit of both. Jason, what about you? Did this scare you? No, but uh, when I say that I enjoyed it, I'm thinking in terms of like there's drama in the sense that you're afraid of something bad happening to a character, but not in the way that a horror film, you know, like you're, you're creeped out or when you're walking around the house at night, the lights off, you're seeing the thing that you saw in that movie. It didn't create that kind of imagery in my mind or, or stick with, you know, it's like, well, we have nightmares about this later. It wasn't anything like that. But, you know, for example, I don't find Jordan Peele's films scary. I think they're incredibly well made and effective right. and emotionally effective. And the symbolism is, you know, it's clear that the point he's trying to get across, like, I appreciate all of that. But I've never been scared when watching one of them. And that's not a criticism. It's just a lot of horror is like that, where it's just a genre of drama in the sense that the drama is around some kind of a supernatural thing that's occurring it has ghosts in it when you could have told the exact same story as drugs where the stuff she does is not because she's possessed but because she's hallucinating or because she's under the effect of this drug and then winds up dying not because she's fighting a spirit but because her you know it was like it it can her addiction convinced her it was the only way out or whatever like you could Mm -hmm. have retold the same story with the exact same emotional beats Including like the kid bashing his head against the wall. Again, that could be the effect of, you know, having taken too much of something and now he can't come back from it. Um, 
and it, and it all still works if you take the ghosts out of it. So I'm trying yeah, to I, think of like what movies, what supernatural horror has really scared me. Because I remember when I saw, for example, The Exorcist being very scared of that, but I was young. Yeah. It it's tough for me. It's uh, it's a lot of little moments or like. A general vibe that'll like creep me out that's why i enjoyed the mike flanagan series is that i'll come out of those feeling like generally creeped out by concepts in them like the way you get from like stephen king you know where it's like oh what a creepy idea and i i think what's unique about this movie is that the first half that we keep talking about where it's all fun and games any other movie would make that try to make that scary right? Yeah. They tried to make that really serious and scary, that they're fucking with it. This movie knew to actually make it fun and have the characters be laughing because that makes you more tense watching it because you know this is not going to go well, right? You're watching them be like, that felt so good and they their eyes go black and they're being like silly and people are like, and it's like in a montage that's treated as like, this is fun and you they, they know you know like the way if it was just them doing drugs that you'd like this is going to like they're all smoking crack in the same sequences you're like well i know what's going to happen i know what happens with demons like i know where that heads the way i know (laughs) and so like they they knew they didn't have to treat it that way and i think that's what makes this movie specific like that's i think the most unique feature of this film Mm -hmm. is how they treat that first half Um, i agree yeah jason i'm really i really want to know what movie scared you last, though? Um, well, we did. Did you watch? We did an episode about funny games. Oh, yeah. A movie that scared <laughs> me quite a bit. The most upsetting thing I had ever watched. It has almost no gore. Um, but that I But I remember, for example, in terms of like supernatural horror monster movies, when I was younger and watched Alien and then Aliens, what the aliens do to you and that they don't kill you, but they, they're going to turn you into a living cocoon or whatever like that right. that had a profound effect on me like the idea and the design of the creatures and and seeing them like the imagery of them coming out of the shadows everything about that is so beautifully made that again it, it, they've made however many more spin-off movies whatever like that imagery is now so pervasive that it means nothing it's it's cliche like right. I, if i found one of those in my house i would not be scared um, right. but at the time i saw it, it it absolutely had an effect i'm trying to think of the last you know, like it follows. I think I would say that the scenes where they're sitting there talking and then you see in the deep background, just an old person walking toward them and the main characters don't know what's happening. And they're so just chatting. Good. That's, I think that's was an effective horror moment that I would say, yeah, that scared me to end. If somebody tells me, you know, I'll, I'll watch a horror movie, but nothing too scary. I will say, avoid it follows. And it doesn't have a lot of gore. doesn't have a monster doesn't matter the the way it it sets it up um it's i i think it's tremendously effective horror which by the way very divisive opinion a lot of people cannot stand that movie man i yeah i don't understand that because what's impressive about that movie and what i've always liked and this actually goes back to saw the reason i love it follows it didn't just scare me it made me scared of a crowd scene in broad daylight and it's like how often does a movie do that right where it's like oh saw is tapping into our deep fear of having our fucking lungs pulled out it's like yeah no shit you know but when a movie is like i'm gonna make you genuinely scared of this mundane thing 
it's really impressive. And kind of this movie is like, I'm going to make you feel really nervous watching these teens party. Like that's really cool to be able to do it. Yeah. Yeah. To be like, to take something that, yeah, isn't normally that scary and just make it really genuinely scary is yeah. Very impressive. Um, and then just sometimes it's just how something is made, I guess. I mean, I go off about that new movie Cobweb and Marianne, their mm. series. Caveat was another film recently that was like, made me go like, ah, I don't like this. <laughs> I hate being here. <laughs> yeah. Like, and some of that is the old tricks, but like, it's a lot of just doing old tricks in new ways. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of like, I haven't seen that before and I don't like seeing it right now. <laughs> uh, and so I always appreciate that too. But overall, I Man. would just tell people, if you've not seen it yet, yeah, watch Talk to Me. Support these guys, support new filmmakers, yeah. support horror. It's the last the last vestige of the way movies used to work before it was all superheroes. I, it's wild um, how, because like you think about Sam Raimi and Rob Tappert making the 16 millimeter short, right? And then they make Evil Dead and it plays some theaters. And you think like that can never be done anymore, right? Like, you can't make clerks for 30 grand. And then you look at, like, Skinamarink. And then you look at, like, the fact that they're making a Backrooms movie using the original kid who made the videos on YouTube. Because that he owns that idea, right? Like, the stu- like this kid who, yeah, is like these talk-to-me people who are probably in their maybe early 20s. It's just like, yeah, I'm making a major motion picture because I made a bunch of shit on YouTube. That's awesome. And it really is, yeah. like always only really been horror that has done that it's a it's amazing that in the days of the internet that transferred over Mm. like from like people making 16 millimeter films to now people making youtube films that's awesome there was a time in the past when you could do it with comedy if you were a sketch comedy troupe just a bunch of buds making comedy that you could get a movie deal and make a movie and that is done like as far as I can tell, that is not a thing anymore. Where it would open and make you know a hundred million dollars at the at the box office. Like that's, yeah. I'm sure somebody out there has a a counter example, but generally, horror is the path. If you're you know yeah. if you make horror shorts on YouTube, you can get a film deal because they know that horror fans are great and they, it will make its money back. It's a weird comparison. Horror is like porn. And that, like, you could make a 30-second version of it and people would respond to it because they're just looking for specific imagery, right? Like, you don't need a narrative. Like, there's on TikTok, you can find these, like, just scary 30-second clips, right? Uh, and if you execute that re- well, that's all people need. They're just like, ooh, that's terrifying. I don't know the context, but that's a terrifying shot. And that's, yeah, you can just make a little career online doing that. Uh, and that's cool. And I guess comedy, you could argue, is the same, right? Jokes can be short, but it doesn't. Yeah, it really seems like people don't go to the theater reason, to watch comedy anymore. But they yep, just don't. Yeah, it. they just that's don't. It. I think part of it is also making horror clips online is showing to producers, like, yeah, I can make this thing, right? Like, I made it. Look, I can make it, and they're like, yeah, surely you can make that for an hour and a half, right? I feel like the comedy is more of a showcase of your writing, and the horror yeah. is more of a showcase of your filmmaking. For sure. Yeah, and that can go wrong sometimes. For sure, um, th- for sure. Yeah. But it's cool. It's cool that it still happens, and maybe it'll yeah. yeah, maybe it'll get better for other genres when we have whatever's after the internet, double internet. It'll be called. 
It'll be <laughs> the, the internet Super twice. internet. <laughs> um, all right. Any other thoughts on Talk to Me? No. Cool. Watch it. It's good. Watch it. Jason, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, thank you so much um, for being on the show. Yeah, here at the end, do you want to plug something once more? Uh, yeah, I have multiple things going on. The book is yeah. called Zoe is Too Drunk for This Dystopia. It is the third book in the Zoe Ash series. The first one was called Futuristic Violence and Fancy Suits. The second one was called Zoe Punches the Future in the Dick. And when you're listening to this, all three of them should be available. The first two, probably dirt cheap. Uh, you can find me on all social media platforms at Jason K. Pergin. P-A-R-G-I-N for that last part, including on TikTok, where when we're recording this, I have 320,000 followers. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I am on a podcast with Sean Baby and Robert Brockway called Big Feats, where we are doing an episode-by-episode rewatch of a show you have never heard of and never seen called Mountain Monsters. That is a Mm. Bigfoot hunting reality show on Max, and I know... You don't understand why anyone would devote themselves to doing an episode-by-episode rewatch of a show that has 90 episodes of a series of several men failing to find Bigfoot every week. If you listen to the podcast, you will understand. (laughs) The show is incredible. It is a series of hillbillies, self-described hillbillies, with no acting, production, or improv experience going out into the woods for every episode and pretending to almost find a cryptid. And they have to just improvise an adventure. They have no budget and it's done. It's not a comedy whatsoever. They're, they're straight face trying to convince you. This is a documentary and they, this persisted for longer than breaking bad. Like they, they got eight seasons and then a spinoff seasons of another show. So they, for nine years or nine seasons across more years than that, they kept this act going and it is magic i i can't believe it exists so we're (laughs) every episode of the podcast is covering another episode of mountain monsters and we intend to do it until the law makes us stop oh yeah that show has been echoing in the in the rooms of my home as both me and hana are watching or listening to different points in the podcast oh yeah Uh, and when when wild bill said he was gonna slit the wolf man's throat i yeah had to pause the television (laughs) incredible (laughs) incredible um well we have a patreon uh patreon.com slash gamefully unemployed g-a-m-e-f-u-l-l-y unemployed uh we have exclusive podcasts on there for just five dollars a month you can listen to tom and jeff watch batman fox Mulder is a maniac star trek the next futurama spielboys we watch movies every friday night as well on their patreon.com slash gamefully unemployed check it out yeah we also have a store at gamefullyunemployed.com where you can find a link to our teespring store we have all kinds of cool original artwork and designs you can get on t-shirts mugs stickers posters all sorts of things so slap your one good remaining peeper because you almost pulled the other one out where you were possessed by an embalmed hand onto that yeah and happy halloween yes go is the hand yeah <laughs> that would be kind of rad if you pulled that off yeah just a big paper mache hand I guess you could wear like a like a black robe or something, so it's just like this big white hand is all you can really yeah. see. I don't know. Figure it put out. A, Figure it put out. A t- Halloween. Put a dick in the hand. Yeah, put a dick talk, in the hand. Talk to me with a dick in the hand. 